I'm David Porter, author of Five Minutes to Live. Just a few things to note about the podcast. First, if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description of the podcast, but can be purchased online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and even at Walmart and Target online. I've also listed my Facebook and Twitter links. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're enjoying the book. In this series, we're going to read through Five Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. If you didn't start with Episode 1, the prologue, please go back and start there. Please subscribe and hit the alert notification, whatever that looks like on your preferred podcast platform. That way you'll know when the new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying this journey, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Five Minutes to Live has a lot of footnotes for the research done and the Bible verses quoted. I'll post those footnotes in the description of each episode. Finally, I've got a new book on the way titled 60 Seconds of Silence that I am really excited about. Once that book is available, I'll go back and post that link in each episode's description as well. With that, thank you for being here. Let's get started. Chapter 10 it was getting late in the afternoon as Nuria and I stepped out of the conference room. I forgot Jessica's phone charging on the table and had to go back in and get it. I unplugged it and dropped it in my pocket. The laboratory, which had been bustling with activity when I first arrived, now moved at a much slower pace. The hallways were empty and lights and offices were turned off. Nuria walked down the hallway in front of me and stopped at a corner office. This is Dr. Adams' office. Want to see it? She smiled like she was showing off a new puppy. It dawned on me that Nuria was the first person I had ever met who knew Jessica. They were friends of sorts, and I became suddenly excited. I had a lot of questions to ask about Jessica. Of course I do, I quipped. Nuria switched on the lights and stepped back out of the way. I walked into the office and immediately saw how spacious and elegant it was. A mahogany desk being the main focal point of the room, my eyes drifted around the space. There were wooden bookshelves along two walls, and the other two walls were glass windows from floor to ceiling. Jessica had placed framed pictures in different locations around the room. Desk lamps illuminated the room, operated by the switch on the wall. I was struck by how organized everything was. Books on their shelves had their spines aligned perfectly in rows. Her pens and pencils were evenly spaced and exactly in order on her desk. The one thing that looked out of place was Jess's laptop, which sat on the side of her desk locked down by some sort of metal cage. Is it okay if I sit down, look around, see if I can find some clues? I don't want to break any rules or... Even Jessica's trust, but I need to find something that can help me find her. Do you care? She shook her head and said, No, I don't care. I've got a couple of things to wrap up in my office before I go home. Feel free to do your thing. Be sure to check out the pictures and stuff. I'll be back in a couple of minutes and we can walk out together, okay? Cool, I said. But Nuria had already walked off. I sat down in Jessica's desk chair, a large leather thing that felt like a throne on wheels. Was this going to be like the movies? Could I open a drawer and find a clue that would lead me to her location? Probably not. 
Okay then, what's my next step? Let's start looking. Nuria had been correct. There were a lot of pictures of Jessica and me sitting around her office, but there were pictures of others as well. I picked up one of the frames, the one closest to me, and saw a photo of Jessica as a young child, maybe five years old, in a pastel green-colored Easter dress. She had an Easter basket on her arm and was holding the hand of an adult man, who I guess was her father. Young Jessica was smiling at the camera, squinting in the sunlight with her head tilted to her right toward her dad. Her dad wasn't even looking at the camera, but was instead looking with intense love at his young daughter. Another photo, one on the bookcase, seemed fairly recent and showed Jessica standing with a thin, older gentleman. His round-lensed reading glasses sat on a nose that was slightly too large for his face, and his thinning gray hair was styled in a spiky fashion. He looked like a grandfather trying to be cool. He also had a big smile on his face, like a teacher thrilled with a student's accomplishment. They were both wearing lab coats, he had his arm around her, and Jessica was holding some sort of award. I turned my attention away from the pictures, hoping to find some sort of clue. Jessica's desk was a massive, impressive thing. There was a middle drawer above my knees. I pulled it open, and it contained pens, pencils, and some blank sticky notes. To the right and to the left of where I was sitting were rows of drawers on either side of me, three on the left and three on the right. At first glance, I missed it, but there was a fourth knob on the left-hand side of the desk, directly at the top of the drawers. I pulled the knob, and it revealed an extra writing space. It had initially looked like a drawer, but it was just a flat surface where I found that Jessica had a handwritten letter taped to that piece of her desk where only she could see it. It was written in her handwriting and said, Dear Jessica, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. So, this is who you are and who you aspire to be, a virtuous woman. Never forget it. A good woman is hard to find and worth far more than diamonds. Her husband trusts her without reserve and never has reason to regret it. Never spiteful, she treats him generously all her life long. She shops around for the best yarns and cottons and enjoys knitting and sewing. She likes a trading ship that sails to faraway places and brings back exotic surprises. She's up before dawn, preparing breakfast for her family and organizing her day. She looks over a field and buys it, then, with money she puts aside, plants a garden. First thing in the morning, she dresses for work, rolls up her sleeves, eager to get started. She senses the worth of her work, is in no hurry to call it quits for the day. She's skilled in the crafts of home and hearth, diligent in homemaking. She's quick to assist anyone in need, reaches out to help the poor. She doesn't worry about her family when it snows. Their winter clothes are all mended and ready to wear. She makes her own clothing and dresses in colorful linens and silks. Her husband is greatly respected when he deliberates with the city fathers. She designs gowns and sells them, brings the sweaters she knits to the dress shops. Her clothes are well-made and elegant, and she always faces tomorrow with a smile. When she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say, and she always says it kindly. She keeps an eye on everyone in her household and keeps them all busy and productive. Her children respect and bless her. Her husband joins in with words of praise.
Many women have done wonderful things, but you've outclassed them all. Charm can mislead and beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. Give her everything she deserves. I immediately recognized the verses she had written, familiar with the book of Proverbs, but I didn't know what translation it was from. I had grown up hearing that I needed to find a virtuous woman, a reference to Proverbs 31 in the Bible. I pulled out Jessica's phone from my pocket and snapped a picture of her letter. I figured once things were back to normal, I could text it to my phone, kind of a neat reminder of the time I was in her office. Wow, how long have you been in here and you've already found it? Nuria asked. How long has she been standing there? Uh, oh, you, you, you startled me, I said, laughing at myself. I continued, I, I, I guess so. I just like that Jessica had written a portion of scripture to remind herself what God says she can be. It reminded me of my friend, and so I snapped the picture. I hope that's okay. Nuria nodded, and I continued. While you're standing there, I've got a few more questions for you. Like, do you know anything about this picture? I handed Nuria the picture of Jessica and the slight older man. Oh yeah, I took that picture. That's the day Dr. Kaplan, that's him in the picture, that's the day he promoted Jessica to project leader. It doesn't sound like much, but that's a great big jump in responsibility. And pay, especially for someone so young, Nuria said. Um, Matt, it's getting close to closing time, and I don't think I can leave you here by yourself. Still looking at the picture, I said, Do you know anything about keys Jessica might have? The massage agent said something like, She holds the keys. Nuria thought about it a moment, and I noticed her attitude changed. Maybe it was the fact that I wasn't leaving yet, but maybe it was more. She said, It's funny you should ask that. Dr. Adams has a saying that she mumbles sometimes. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I've heard her say that as well. I always thought it was kind of cute, I said. Nuria continued. One day I asked her about it. She just laughed, lost in her thought, and said she had the key in her heart. I'm not exactly sure what she meant. I just figured it had something to do with you, like you had the key to her heart. I guess she had just finished a phone call with you. She was always smiling whenever you called. I found myself blushing at that comment. I never thought about Jessica's reaction to one of our phone calls. I guess I just took them for granted. Then Nuria did this little throat-clearing thing. I took the hint, stood up, grabbed Jessica's phone, and put it back in my pocket. I've got a couple big questions to ask you, Nuria. I'm going to put you in a tough spot, but it's for the absolute best of reasons. Number one, will you give me Jessica's research, or will you get Jessica's research and take it with me to the Mossad? If I could, I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat, I would. I have no idea where her research is or how to access it. I don't even know how to log into her computer. I'm sorry. Okay. <sighs> Question number two. Do you know where Dr. Kaplan lives? I asked. I'd like to stop by his house, see if he's there, if he's sick and all of that. Maybe see if he can give me any information that might help me find Jessica. I'm not supposed to give out personal information like that, but 
because of who you are and the circumstances and all of that, uh, I'll get it for you. We walked to the office next door, a much more conventional office space, and Nuria sat down, clicked a few keys on the keyboard, and then started writing down information on a small sheet of paper. She wrote Dr. Kaplan's address on one piece. She wrote a phone number down on a second piece of paper. Then on a third sheet, she wrote her name, address, and phone number. She handed them to me and said, when you get in a cab, just hand them this sheet of paper. They'll take you to Dr. Kaplan's house. The second piece of paper is his phone number, just in case. This third piece of paper, do, do you have a place to stay tonight? If you need a place to crash, call me or stop by. I'll cook us some dinner and answer any questions you have about Dr. Adams. She smiled. A wave of relief washed over me. I hadn't given any thought to where I would go after I saw Dr. Kaplan. I just figured I'd go wherever I had to go to save Jessica. But if I needed it, this would be a great place to rest for a while and have a hot meal. Thank you, Nerea. I hadn't given any thought to where I would be going next. I'll definitely keep you in mind. It's so generous. Thank you. One last thing, she said. I want to call Dr. Kaplan and just see if he answers his phone. I can tell him to be watching out for you. She pressed a button on the phone on her desk and I heard a tone. We were on speaker. She dialed a series of numbers and after a moment or two, there was a beeping on the line. I knew from watching movies that outside of the United States, phones didn't ring like we were accustomed to. In other countries, it's a monotone beeping noise or a double beeping sound. The line beeped a few more times and then voicemail clicked on. I heard the gravelly voice of Dr. Kaplan speaking in Hebrew and then a final tone. Nuria responded in turn, leaving a message in Hebrew to Dr. Kaplan. She finished pressed the button that ended the call, turned to me and said, Okay, I told him that Dr. Adams is missing. You're looking for her, and you'll be stopping by to see him. Thank you. Thank you for everything. I turned to leave, and then a second of panic set in. Does Dr. Kaplan speak English? <laughs> yes, I should have left the message in English so you could understand it. I'm sorry, Nuria said. It's totally not a problem. Thanks so much, and I'll let you know about dinner, too. You're welcome, Mr. Davenport. Let's get out of here. I nodded and said, you can stop with the Mr. Davenport stuff. Please call me Matt. Oh, thank goodness. Jessica and I are pretty informal, and I didn't know how much longer I could keep that up with you. Both laughing, we made our way to the bank of elevators. End of chapter 10. So... The woman's voice in the middle of the podcast today, reading the part of Jessica's letter, was my wife, Lauren. Just want to say thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed today. Get ready for the next chapter. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. If you want to purchase 5 Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released. And if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.